Hey everyone from wherever you listen, this is George Gross, uh, proud to bring you another episode of iMOOC Live. We are on season two, episode five, and we are lucky to have Beth Huff and Shelley Burgess, authors of the new book, Lead Like a Pirate, talk about some of their leadership uh, thoughts and how they empower their staff. We then dive into how we empower people and we have some really interesting and real authentic conversation talking about how you help move people forward and and how you develop a vision. Then we take some viewer questions and we also announce who will be uh, on the last session of iMOOC Live. We hope you enjoy the episode and look forward to your tweets and sharing your ideas. I hope you have a wonderful week. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is George Kuros. Uh, This is iMOOC Season 2, Episode 5. We are pretty pumped that we actually have Shelley Burgess and Beth Huff uh, joining us today. Uh, they actually have just released their new book, and I was lucky enough to actually um, give it an endorsement. I think I'm on there, hopefully right on the front, right? Shelly and Beth? I'm just kidding. So, right on the back. Right on the back. Right on the back. Back front, same thing. Depends on how you hold it. So the uh, um, so I actually uh, read it, and I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a really great book. So if you don't have a copy yet, I really encourage you to get one. Uh, it is a lot of really great stories, and one of the things I really enjoyed about reading the book was um, it was honest. Like, I felt like it wasn't just like, here's everything awesome all the time. Like, they actually talked about some of the trials and tribulations, which I think was very relatable for a lot of people, but then... They didn't just leave it at that. They gave you really good strategies, you know, talking about um, some of the things. So um, Shelly is also um, very close to me because she published uh, The Innovator's Mindset with Dave. And so uh, not only is she an amazing principal, she's a brilliant business person. So uh, she she knows the book, The Innovator's Mindset, Inside Out, too. And uh, so this will be a nice little connection between the two. So thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. They're actually at ASCD, uh, and the hashtag there is Empower17, and uh, we're, we're seeing uh, people connect. And I will turn it over to Katie. Awesome. So we, again, are super excited to have both Shelly and Beth here tonight. And we are looking forward to hearing more about the book and more about your work. But first, I just want to say shout out to the iMOOC community for all the blogs this week. It's been great to see everybody connecting, everybody partnering up for the buddy blogs. Um, I have more to read that I could ever possibly get through. And it's been really fun to see all the connections to the live shows and to the book as well. So we're looking forward to your thoughts again after this live show and seeing what you guys get out of it start by hearing a little bit about uh, Shelly and Beth. So we're going to start with Shelly. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and um, why you're excited to be here in education. Sure. Thank you, Katie. Thank you, George, so much for having us. We're so excited to be a part of this with you. Um, a little bit um, a little bit about me. So I started my career in education actually as a middle school teacher. Um, I taught mostly English. Yeah, seventh grade English. I taught um, a bit of journalism, a little bit of drama, um, but mostly English. And then ultimately, I moved into an administration role. I started as a principal in a K-6 school, which I did for um, about five years. 
and then moved into district office administration as a director of student achievement and then ultimately an assistant superintendent of educational leadership, um, which I love. I've loved every role um, that I've had. But um, that's a, a little bit about my background. Um, I left the assistant superintendent role um, about two years ago or so and work full time now with Dave and the publishing company and, and speaking, writing with Beth and, and those kinds of things. But a little bit about, a little bit about me. All right. That's great. And I forgot to mention, of course, Shelly, that you're a San Diegan yeah. and we live close to each other. So it's great to have you in our local San Diego community also. Uh, so, Beth, give us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Also, I would like to thank you both for having us and echo Shelley's sentiments. Um, my name is Beth Huff, and I am the very proud principal of Fulton Middle School in Fulton, Missouri. It's right in the middle of Missouri, and that's what I am doing currently right now. I started out as an elementary teacher, never wanted to be a principal, never wanted to move out of the classroom. And Missouri had an awesome program that was called Select Teachers as Regional Resources, had the opportunity for amazing PD for for a year and then I was able to go provide professional development, take a sabbatical from my classroom. And during that, that time is when I realized that leadership matters so much in schools and that if we don't have strong leaders leading schools, teachers can't shine the way they need to. So decided to make the leadership leap and went to um, elementary, had seven great years at McIntyre Elementary in the same district that I'm at now, and then had a growth opportunity to move to the middle school. And I absolutely love it. Middle school is a, a very fun, Busy, interesting place, but I love it for sure. There, I know I knew there was a reason that I love both of you. Is that's my background. My passion is middle school, seventh grade language arts. Um, it's a fun place, both interesting adults and kids. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, so both of you then have a rich history of leadership experience and lots in a variety of experiences that have led to the book, Lead Like a Pirate. So we would love for you to kind of talk a little bit about the message in the book and what you are hoping that readers get out of this book. Sure. You want me to start? Yeah. And then, yeah. So, um, so it's interesting because when, after Dave wrote Teach Like a Pirate and there, there was a lot of attention, um, on the book, Teach Like a Pirate and, um, Dave and I, you know, we, we have this whole, um, belief, you know, he's been a teacher his whole life. I was a teacher and then administration. Um, and we have this really strong belief that administrators and teachers, we're all part of the same team. And so there was a, you know, a point in time actually after reading his book that, um, that I wrote a blog about it several, it was several years ago now, but that was really, this applies not just for teachers, it applies for leaders too. And that the, the acronym of pirate, um, the passion, the immersion, the rapport, um, the transformation, you know, all the components that he talks about are so important for us as teachers have huge application to the roles that we have as leaders. And, and so that was sort of the, the genesis, and the, the start of it. And um, Beth and I um, connected, you know, really through social media. I mean, social media connections are, are powerful, as you all know. Um, but that was sort of the starting point for the book is, is what is this, how do we take this, this concept of pirate and sort of supercharge it for educational leaders? And if you want to have risk takers in your school and you want to have innovators and you want to have creativity in every classroom across the campus, there are steps that we have to take as leaders to make sure that that happens. And so, so that's really what I think the, the primary, the primary purpose of the book is, is what do we do in our roles as leaders to make schools 
places where kids are running to get in, not out, where staff are beating down the doors to be part of the team um, and really making magic happen in their classroom for kids. And, and Beth, you, Beth, you actually, you, you kind of alluded to something that I really strongly believe. You talked about uh, moving from like uh, the classroom to, uh, you know, to the principalship because you saw like that weak leadership, you know, was making an impact in schools. Can you talk more about that? Because I think I, I'm really a big firm believer that principals are actually probably the most crucial people in organizations. And it's not that teachers aren't extremely valuable. It is, it's actually the exact opposite reason. It is because they're extremely valuable. And, I, and what I've seen is that uh, if you have a weak principal, usually teachers become weak or they leave. And so any thoughts like why, like why you saw this disconnect with leadership and, and what's happening and, and why you actually went into that role? Definitely. So something that I noticed, I worked with over 40 schools the year that I was on sabbatical and the schools that struggled the most had the weakest leaders and the teachers didn't know what to do. There was chaos typically in these buildings. There was no structure, no systems, no just drive, no energy, no passion within the buildings. And so that's something I noticed right away. And I, I kind of had that mind shift moment in that year that I can go back to the classroom and be so happy doing what I'm doing. But then I turn the students that I had the opportunity to serve are almost weakened potentially later when they have a teacher that doesn't have the same beliefs and rooted in the, the pedagogy that I had been trained in. And I knew that as being able to move into the leadership role of principal, I could help make change at a bigger level and have more of a ripple effect and, let teachers shine, like I said before, it really support teachers that they can do what they need to do and then have have a whole school of strong teachers versus maybe some of the opposite of what I had seen before. Yeah. That makes sense. And, and I'm curious, Beth, like what is one of your biggest insights moving from the classroom into the leader of a school? Wow, that's a big question. But I definitely I think for me <laughs> wow. So <laughs> I think that probably for me, it's just the amount. I don't think people realize just what goes into making schools amazing. Like just you don't realize so much of what a day is until you're able to look at it from a global perspective in the principal's office. It's so neat for me to be able to go and I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about this, this a little bit more. This that power of social media. I kind of feel like I'm one of the the storytellers of the school to be able to help get out and see all the wonderful things happening. But it's amazing the amount um, that it takes when you look at the global perspective of a school versus just from a fourth grade teacher where I was at before, where I still knew it was complex. But so I think that was one of the biggest things too. I think the other big insight for me is just that like, culture matters so much and that every single person on campus is responsible for positive culture of a school. And sometimes I think as teachers, we look at leaders to provide that for us. And we are definitely the multiplier of that culture and the emotional guide for a lot of folks. If we are, if we are not positive and, and doing what we need to do, it's really hard for others to, I mean, it's just contagious with what our, what our, what our perspective and personality and, you know, it really is. So I think that's a really good point. Cause I, I think a lot of people, when they, um, they, they look at school, like I, I remember being a principal, you know, teachers would come to me or something like, go talk to the person, right? Like why, like, I'm not the, always the, the person that's going to be the conduit to fix everything. And, um, I think one of the things that I, that I talk about quite a bit is the idea of, um, it, I, think, I can't remember the guy's name, but he talks about 200% accountability that I'm not only accountable for what I do, but the person that across the hall is also accountable to me as well. 
And, you know, that really accelerates these things. And I, I appreciate that. And so like, how would you, and this is for Shelly or Beth, how would you, you know, some of the things that you're doing, how do you get people to a point where they see they are the, the people that create the culture that is not simply on the shoulders of the principal, but anyone in that, that building? Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things, and you talk about it actually in Innovator's Mindset, and I think it's something that, that resonates with Beth and me and something that, that we really believe in is that, you know, like Beth said, it's the culture piece, but it's, there's, there's a quote that I love um, by Sarah Brown Westlane that is um, one of my favorites. I use it all the time, but it's that change begins with a culture where everyone is elevated to the status of a learner. And, and that, that piece of, of empowering people is so critical. And, you know, one of the things we talk about in the book is this idea of, yes, as leaders, we want to earn trust and we, we want people to trust us to help, you know, through problems and through challenges and, and trust us to help shape and build culture. But we also believe really strongly that, that leaders have to give trust to their teams and, and part, and, and that's scary sometimes for leaders. And I, I think that it's, it's also the case that we have teachers in, you know, teachers, everywhere who feel like they're not trusting, you know, well, it did this decision doesn't lie with me. You know, my principal always makes the final decision or my principal is the one who sets the direction. And so, so they haven't been given the trust that, that they deserve to help shape the culture and help shape um, the direction of the school. And so I think that when you form and sort of take on and adopt that, that mindset or that mentality that, that we're all learners here and we create this culture where we learn together and that from that learning, we make decisions. Um, I think that's that's really an important step in empowering people and and helping them see they they help make the decisions and they're they're more owners of those decisions and and more protectors of that culture and protective more protect you know protective of the direction and, and the move and the shifts and the change going forward. Something well, to, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Beth. Okay, well, I was going to say something that I was going to add to that too is that. You also have to really think about where you're leading from. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times people just always say, well, leaders should lead from behind. Well, sometimes yes, but sometimes your organization needs you to lead from the front. You need to be right there modeling the change. And, you know, for the opportunity that I that I had to go to the middle school, which is it's an amazing school, and we have such a positive culture that we work on every minute of every day. You can't wait till culture is negative to start working on it. And so from the beginning, they needed the leader that led from the front and when I modeled the like what what we could be doing just from what my my leadership skills were, then it was amazing to see the other leaders step up and and then I can lead more from the side now and from the back as I need to. So I think that's one thing that leaders we have to make sure that we are leading from where we need to lead from as well. I think uh, this I'm gonna actually I don't know if I'm gonna challenge, but I'm gonna maybe get you to talk about something that I don't hear people talking about. Because I think that was a really important point, right? Like, there's always like, oh, we empower everybody and and all that stuff. And there's like, there's so many cliches, but but some like, I think one of the things that a lot of people struggle with is that there's they see principals when they share stories, they're not truly authentic. Because we know that there's bad stuff that happens in schools, and there's and we have conversations with teachers that are not doing their work as superintendents have it with principals and things like that too. And I think. Um, like sometimes I say this and, and I would love your thoughts on this is that sometimes you have to be a leader and sometimes you have to be a boss. Right. And, and, and I think there, you have to find that line sometimes of when those things, just as you said, you got to lead from behind, lead from, you know, front, you, you got to pick those times. And like, is there times where you, you like, 
how do you kind of find that balance where, you know, you're trying to be authentic in what you're sharing, but there's also like no school is perfect. And we have every school has issues. Like, where do you guys find that balance of, you know, sharing that or, you know, being authentic or dealing that even within your schools? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think there's a, a couple of things. Is we we both believe really strongly in the idea that leaders also have to be very courageous. I mean, you you have to when something's not right, you have to confront it head on. And I, you know, you have to when a teacher is in a classroom and, and harming kids, or you know, the work is is not up to anywhere close to the standard that it needs to be. We have to own that, and we have to take that take the reins and we have to handle that in a very courageous way. We need to do it respectfully. We need to do it with dignity, treat people with dignity, but, but we have to, that's part of, that's part of leadership. Um, and I, you know, I think that, that one of the things you talk about the authenticity, George, is that it's, it's also about being really clear with people and really, you know, when I'm shifting, you know, the, my primary role or my the primary purpose that I mean, I want to support the great work that you're doing. I want to be able to empower you to do amazing things in your classroom. But when I have a concern, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm going to be really clear with you. And I, I think that, that sometimes we're afraid to and I think sometimes it gets in the way that people don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or they don't want to, um, uh, you know, they talk around issues. So I think that that, that, that whole piece of I'm going to be really clear and you're going to know if I have a concern, I'm going to tell you. And that people, I think people that builds trust with people that um, the line will be, you know, the line will be clear. And if you cross the line, I'm not going to leave it blurry. I'm going to I'm going to have a conversation with you. And I think when you build relationships with people and they know that you're recognizing the positive things and the amazing things that they're doing, that when it's time to say, we've got to talk about something else here. And this isn't me being a coach right now. This is me being the the boss. You know, this is me telling you that in in this school or this role, this isn't working. And it's, it's about clarity with people, I think. And that's, I think, uh, really important because leadership is not just about what you encourage and empower. It's also what you allow. Exactly. Right. And and that's what I was going to say is it goes back to the what you permit, you promote. So when you're allowing things to go on that are potentially hurting students or hurting the school, then that that's not okay. And it goes back sometimes. um, I think there's a quote that talks about, are we doing what's best for kids or convenient for adults? And we have to sometimes really take a hard look at our practices and confront them in a professional, respectful way. Um, something that I do within within the schools I've, I've had the opportunity to lead is if there's an issue with one person, I make sure that I go and, and talk to that person. But if I'm noticing that three or four or 10 or, you know, at least 50% of our staff are struggling with something, I haven't done a clear enough job mm-hmm. of either building what we all what, like helping build the knowledge of that and really defining that something that Shelly and I talk about in the book too, within the coaching piece of the book is because we feel like so many coaching models, so many um, feedback models that administrators do really is more about fixing than supporting. And so we, we, we've broken that up into two parts though. There's sometimes when you can coach and have a conversation that's very much of equal, um, collaborative. collaborative, Yeah. yeah. But then there's sometimes when it's captain directed, like when I'm actually, okay, yes, this is not okay. And I think sometimes too many people are worried about hurting feelings or whatever. It's not about our feelings. It's about, you know, it's about taking care of what we need to for kids. And we also have SOS conversations, which are complete. Those are the ones when you're in the room and you see something happening and you're like, Oh no, 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 no. Let's stop right now. Because, um, typically it's some type of emotional or physical safety is at bay there. 
Yes. So the one thing I was like, okay, he's got a question or ready, Brad? <laughs> Everything's so, soaking it in. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay. No, soaking it in. But I, I know George wants to move on to a few questions. I just have one final kind of follow-up for both of you. Sure. Shelly, you mentioned earlier that you're you and Dave really feel strongly about you know, the principal and teacher working together in a school. And I couldn't agree more. And then, you know, Beth, you talked a little bit about that feedback loop. So some conversations actually we just had at ASCD this week talking about what is the, how do you get feedback as principals or how do you get feedback as administrators about what the culture is and what, what's working or not at your sites? Because it's one thing to say, here's what I, I want to trust you. I empower you. But when, when you you need feedback as a leader also so how do you set that up and make that happen I, I i think there's you know i think i think first of all you have to be really you have to be open to it and i think that you have to communicate really clearly with your staff that you are open open to it you know i'm going to make a bad decision sometimes and i want you to hold me accountable i am going to you know i i i think that they need to see you model that you're also reflective and that you're a learner and that you you know i think setting yourself up in a place where, you know, Beth has talked about too, you know, you take risks, you don't, you know, you're not perfect, you know, and, and to seek that, that feedback out from people and let them know and let them see you make mistakes and own them and, and tell people, hold me accountable. You know, I know um, another thing that um, I did actually when I was principal is we had a, a very strong, um, very strong union representation in our school. And, and we, you know, we met, I met with the, the union reps on a regular basis. Let's talk, you know, is, are there, are there concerns that I'm not seeing? Is there something that's bubbling up? that that I need to know about because we've got to we need to work you know we need to work together this is and, and one of the things I actually said to um, my staff in the the very beginning um, taking over as a principal is this was your school before it was my school you know I need I need you and your insights and you know that you're what you think matters and and when things aren't going in the right direction you know, mm -hmm. call it out and let's sit down and let's talk about it. So I think you have to be open first. And, and then when people do bring something up to you, you don't get defensive, you're reflective. And, and you have and hold those conversations with people. Um, and, then you, and then you show them through your actions that you're learning from them and that the feedback that they give you is actually changing practice within you. And so I think it's, it takes time to build that. It takes trust. It takes relationships, but it takes us being vulnerable as leaders as well. And a couple of thoughts, a couple of thoughts I have on this as well. I feel like um, we've kind of are the generation of surveys and I don't always know that that's the best way to get <laughs> yeah. feedback. Yeah. I think surveys can be very subjective based on, you know, how much, how many sweets. Oh my God. So, so, so I get very, very leery of survey data and I don't, you know, I like to do surveys on favorite um, food to have for conferences or whatever, but my way is very, I'm very intentional with this is so Tuesdays of every week is our team Tuesday and we meet, I meet with every team. They meet Tuesdays and Thursdays, but Tuesdays are the days that I meet with them. I listen. That's how I get feedback. I listen and then I'm in classrooms and I'm watching and I'm immersed. That's the I in pirate is that immersion. I'm actually not leading from the principal's office. And I think that's where when we actually listen and hear, and then I make sure also we have a leadership team that then, you know, we take all of this back to and make sure that folks are drawing the connections between the feedback and then the change in practice. 
And I think those that that's that for me has been great is because I can say, all right, guys, you know, leadership team, after you brought these concerns or these, it's not even always concerns. I think sometimes we take feedback as negative and it really isn't. Um, okay, here's here's some tweaks and changes we want to make because we think that we can be better at what we're doing. When we we both think that diversity of thought makes this school better, you know. So I that that whole piece of you don't always have to agree with me. You don't always have to think that that my way is the right way, and that 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 we value diversity of thought and diversity of thinking, and that that makes us better and it makes us stronger. And so, you know, again, it's it's over time. You know, it's it's that you kind of have to prove yourself that you mean that when you mm-hmm. say that. And um, and I think sometimes teachers. I and staff are fearful of if I go to you, you know, how, so how you react when somebody is really courageous and telling you that they, there's something they don't like or something that they disagree with, or, you know, they're coming to their boss, right. With something, I mean, that takes courage. Mm-hmm. And, and so how you react to that is really critical. And I think sets the tone going forward. But, but I think that's like, uh, there's a quote that uh, I talk about, about the notion of like how you focus on the positives in your school. And some people say, well, what about like, you know, criticizing ideas. And I think there's a difference between criticizing ideas and always being critical that no yeah. matter what people will throw up roadblocks. And, and I think that you want like the, the, the idea is that um, you're, you're searching for those solutions to move forward and get better. And if there's mm-hmm. something blocking you, but if it's just there, there is a difference between being critical and being whiny. Absolutely. Right. And, and I think that's, I think that's a, I think that's something that really sticks out to me. The, one of the things that, uh, kind, of, kind of tweaked something, Beth, uh, you were talking about, and please, anyone, uh, share your thoughts. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the, there was like a little bit of a movement or whatever. People are doing like no office days and you would, as the school, you know, you'd go out of your, and obviously I don't like it by my tone. I'm watching myself, you know, being sarcastic <laughs> about it right now. But the, <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, is that like, you know, principal will spend the entire day in classrooms. And the thought of that is that if you're just doing that on a day, you're not doing your job, yes. right? Yep. Like, that's like, if, if you if you have to like mark off a day on the calendar, that will be the day that you're not in your, like there's days that I was in my, like you can have days that you're in your office all day and that's reality of a principal. And there's some days you're in classrooms all day and there's some days you're both. And I think that if you are not mixing it up and you don't actually know what's going on, like I, I don't feel comfortable with anyone making decisions about things that are going in the classrooms if they're never in the classroom, which happens with IT departments, superintendents, like they never step foot in. And if they only come in one day, teachers are going to totally fake what they do anyway, right? They're going to put on a show for 15 minutes, personal leave and right. But I think like, how do you make sure that you find that time where it's, I don't know, because finding, I guess, making time are different things. But how do you ensure that you're constantly in classrooms so that your decisions that, you know, affect all the teachers, all the kids, that entire community, how do you make sure you find that time that you're in there often? Yeah. So, so first of all, we would both agree with you wholeheartedly that in really, and, and I would say this from any leadership position. So from in the principal role, and then also even in a district office role, George, you're referring to superintendents. And, you know, I was in the role of an assistant superintendent. The, the majority, the reality is, is that the pulse of the school and the heartbeat of the school is what's happening in the classroom. And if you aren't in classrooms, you really don't have any way to 
and evaluate is not even the right word, but it's a, you don't know, did the professional learning session that we just did make impact? Did teachers walk away, did they understand what it was that we were talking about? If you roll out new curriculum, do people understand it in the way that you intended? I mean, you have you have to be in classrooms. I mean, we, we would argue that that is the most important place to be uh, as often as you can. And I, I would agree with you that it isn't about a one day announcement. It's that I'm in as often as I can be. And, and that time, uh, you know, there is time on the calendar, but it's all week. And even if it's an hour this day and three hours that day, and, and again, I would echo that as a district office administrator, that's critical too. And even in the role of an assistant superintendent, I spent over 50% of my time at schools, in classrooms, with principals, well, because that's critical. Oh, yeah, go ahead. And, I'm just, and trust is built over time. You can't just walk in one day and give feedback and say, we just did this session and it's not happening. Yep. Over time, you have to see and understand what's happening in classrooms to be able to lead and make those decisions. And if you're giving feedback to people where they don't trust you and they don't see you as someone who's in the classroom all the time, they don't mm -hmm. take it or trust that you you really know what's happening. Right. Mm -hmm. When I think, I, I think, sorry, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to turn it over to Beth in just a second, I promise. But I, I think that the, that what you say, Katie, is so resonates with me too, is it's also... When you're in classrooms, you also know patterns of teachers. So, so if I'm only in class, your classroom one time this year, and it happens to be a time where you are taking a risk and you are trying something new and it didn't go well, and then I meet with you and I think, oh, you know, this is, you know, like, and I, I want to fix that. Like if I, if I'm in classrooms on a regular basis, I know, hey, today I, you recognize this is new for her. Like this is like, she's, she's trying something different. I've never seen this go on before. And, and you can celebrate that and recognize that. And if it, if it doesn't go as the teacher planned, you're celebrating the risk and also engaging in conversation about, you know, thank you. And then what next, what are you going to do tomorrow? So but it, you, you establish patterns, you build trust, all those things are, it's, it's just, it's critical. I mean, critical mm -hmm. to be in Definitely. classrooms. So, and so kind of the way that I, that I go about this as well, and I'm going to be very honest, I'm not perfect. Like there are days that I still am like, where, who is running my day? The day is running me. Yep. I am not like, what's going on? You know, there's somebody mm -hmm. pulled a fire alarm and then we have to get the police there. We have to do, you know, those type of days happen, especially in middle schools. But for me, one thing, and we talk about this quite a bit in the immersion section as well, is get your calendar, like, go ahead. For me, I know I begin every day in the office and I end every day in the office because the secretary really needs that support at that time. That's typically when we get the phone calls that may need attention or that type of thing. So they know the first 15, 20 minutes of the day, the last 15, 20 minutes of the day, that's where I'm at. But I am intentional. And Shelly did this as well. She would block her calendar out and they would know this is where I'm at. So that, that, that's a huge piece is just making sure that that becomes practice and that it's not just by chance that mm -hmm. I am out in the building. And protected time. A very protected yeah. time. And, and folks know, and I mean, I always have my phone, I always have my walkie-talkie with me, but unless there is an emergency, then I need to be doing this work because that's the most, that's the most critical work is being there, supporting, knowing what's going on. It's also my time to see and, and be around kids. And that's, that's a great thing. Hall supervision, you would think in some days <laughs> it's not the most exciting time, but you know, that's the time I get to see kids. I triage, I figure out who needs the, the support as well. And, and that's something we've talked about in the book about how to, how to help leaders free up time by doing 
four big things so that they can be immersed in the most important work. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think one of the one of the things that like connecting to to the work in, in the book, the innovator's mindset everything's like you have mobile technology. If you have to answer email, you can do it in a classroom. You don't have to be yeah. stuck in an office anymore. So that, that's something that changes. And and the one of the cultural things I think is really important is that if you have a teacher at, at their desk um, and they're sitting at their desk and the superintendent walks in and the stu- or a student walks in, which one do they usually stand up for and greet? And then that can tell you about who they believe they serve. Yeah, and I think that's awesome. a really important thing is that like I always see teachers standing up, superintendent comes in with their entourage. And if you have if you have a, if you only come to schools with your entourage, I don't think you're really good at what you're doing, probably. And so I struggle with that. Um, but when kids come in, I see a lot of teachers still like ignoring them, you know, because they're getting ready for their day. And I think that you set a tone when the norm is that we're in classrooms, we connect with each other that. You know, like it's it shouldn't it should never be a big deal. You should get to a point where it's never a big deal that principals and superintendents are in classrooms. Um, the, the one last thing, the one last thing that um, I really stuck with me in the book, I think, is is really important. And, I, and it's kind of how you guys are talking. And, and maybe this is something I just gleaned from it. But when I became a principal, uh, things were so much more important to me because I felt I had more ownership over the school and I never really felt that way for the majority of my career teaching until I got an amazing principal. And, and sometimes people don't even know they have a bad leader until they experience someone different. And they're like, Oh my God, I can't like, cause they just don't know anything different. Right. And the one principal I had just totally like they, she included me on decision. She asked for feedback and like acted upon it. Not one of those people that just, you know, asked for feedback to say they asked for feedback because they're going to do whatever they're going to do anyway. So how, how do you, how do you as in your role as leaders ensure that because there's a total different uh, quality of work that happens when teachers feel like, and this was kind of triggered by something you had mentioned earlier, Beth, that they have ownership over the school. Like this is our school. So like if, if one teacher does bad, we all do bad kind of thing. So how do you, you know, connect some of the stuff that you're talking about your book to find that ownership and give staff that ownership of the work they're doing. Okay. Well, I'll start a little bit with that. So for me, um, and then, and we also talked about this in a little bit of book, is this like re like looking at the adult learning that's happening in the building? Like, how are we, how are we modeling that? How are we um, giving ownership to teachers? And so something that has been a huge shift in both buildings is that kind of going to more of a just much more personalized professional learning instead of the sit and get staff meetings that we've always done in the, in the past and the professional development days that are just completely administrative driven or district um, central office driven. And so some one just example is we, we kind of went to the genius hour PD looking more at like, okay, we have school goals. So you know what you need as a, as an educator. So why don't you pick what you want to work on for three hours of our professional development day? And why don't you go ahead and, and let me know how you're tying it. And then how can I support you? And are there others in the building that you could work with? Or, so looking at how can we do that? And um, when we have staff meetings, we don't do any type of staff meeting that would be something that could be done in an email. That's just not, that's not, if that's what we want in our classrooms, then why are we not modeling that with our adult learners? And so that has been that has been a big shift for us. So that's one just one example. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I would, I would echo too a little bit of what you were saying, George, is it's that relationship that we, that you build with your team over time that, that your, what, why does what I say is the principle, honestly, when we're talking about, so I, so I think one of the things Beth said, first of all, that's really critical is do we have collective commitment to goals? You know, and, and are we are we clear about that? Do we know what that is? Do we know the direction that we're moving together as a staff? And have we have we shaped that in some way together? And so do we have collective commitment? And, and if we do, then then my idea is about how to move forward. Why do they necessarily care more carry more weight than my fifth grade teachers or my sixth grade teachers or fourth grade teachers? All the ideas about how to meet those goals and move forward towards those goals have merit and value. And so I think that the the more that you build those relationships and and truly do mean it when you say, I want to know your thoughts. I want you to be part of the decision-making team um, is, is really, really critical. And that's, that's a tone that you set as a leader. You ask more questions than you do giving more answers. You, you know, one of a strategy that I like to do with, with any team that I'm working with is I, I see myself as sort of the chief questioner and the chief, you know, posing good, thoughtful questions and eliciting responses from people and contributing if I need to, but oftentimes the things I'm thinking are said by other people, and then really being sort of the chief synthesizer and summarizer of the collective thinking of the group, you know, and so so there's a, a quote that we use in the book is that people are less likely to tear down the systems that they help build, and so that, that piece, I think, is, is really critical in empowering people, um, that they're helping build the system it's theirs and they own it. Right. And we, and we become so immersed in, in like systems that we like, one of the things that I always challenge people is to look at their school with fresh eyes that if they were, if they walked in uh, the first day uh, and they never had been there, would they start asking? And there's that, I don't know if you've ever heard the, uh, the monkey in the room analogy where the, they got all tasered. If they reach for the banana and they replace one monkey at a time, and eventually the other four pull the new monkey down and eventually they all pull the monkey down even though the taser's not on because that's just what they've always done. And it was like a really, I don't know if it's actually legit or it's like a urban legend kind of thing, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great analogy. And I think that, uh, I think when you talk about being like the chief questioner, I think that's a really important thing is that uh, everyone should ask these questions. Like, you know, why are we, you know, why do we do the schedule the way that we do? Why do we have, you know, certain things in our hallways that, you know, we talk about honoring the kids in our schools, but we have, you know, the graduates from 1970 up on the wall that nobody cares about because that space yeah. is taken up the wall. And, you know, why are we, I think it's really crucial. And I think that's something I really liked about your book is that you're not necessarily saying here, here's the answers. You're saying you have to find a way for you to find your answers in your context, in your community. And I think that's the more crucial thing. Cause a lot of things like a lot of books will come out and they'll say, do all these things, but they don't know the community. Right. And I think it's, yeah. you're, you're, you're talking more about culture. Yeah. Well, that's how we feel about trying to fix things with programs in school. You know, they, you know, you, and there are phenomenal programs and things that are out there. But, I mean, we've all seen it. I mean, every, you know, you can take, one program and, and it may have every merit, you know, every great merit to it possible. And you can drop it in one system or one school and it can thrive and really help 
the culture grow and it fit, you know, and you can take that same thing and drop it in the school across the street and it doesn't ever do anything to shift or change or improve learning. Um, and it, because it, it does go back, it goes back to culture and people and, and people feeling valued and a part of the system and that their work matters, you know, and I, I think that's one of the things, you know, that, that, and we talk about this in the book is that, you know, a chief rule that we have, you know, as leaders of schools or leaders of systems is really helping build that sense of efficacy in the adults in the school that, you know, really you are capable, you are capable of making magic happen for kids. You are, and it doesn't matter who the students are. It doesn't matter where they came from. It doesn't matter what their parents do for a living or, you know, whether they're from poverty or not, that, that we, we hold an incredible amount of, of power in our hands as educators to do incredible things for kids. And we have to, we have to own that. And so I think that part of the role, our role as leaders is bringing that out in people and, and really helping, helping them see that this is within you and we're going to help you get there. And there might be bumps along the way and there might be some challenges, but, but we see it in you. We want you to see it in yourself and, and we're going to help you. We're going to help you get there and give you the support you need to make those great things happen for kids in classrooms. And okay, what's, so I'm, I'm, oh, sorry, Beth, go ahead, please. I was going to say, I'll make it very short, but I, I feel like too, when we are able to do this with the staff that we get to lead alongside, they do it for our kids. And so then you start to see students being empowered to take leadership roles and to change the world. And I mean, that's what, like, I think a lot of times kids are, it still goes back to the teaching versus learning. They feel like they're just being taught all day and they're not actually in charge of their learning. So it's so neat to see how the ripple effect happens down to this, to our students to where they're the ones that are actually leading so much of the things happening in our building. So it's a great thing. I'm going to give you two, a little bit of a challenge question here. And, uh, and I I actually kept ignoring Shelly asking what the questions are because I always ignore them anyway. So this is going to give you a little challenge. Uh, and then we're going to jump in the talking about part four of the innovators mindset. And we're glad that they can join us uh, for that part. So I'm going to either one of you can jump in, but I want answers from both of you in 15 seconds. I read lead like a pirate. What's the impact going to be on me? It's a good one. Hey, that's a good one. <laughs> like short, tell me like, what's, what's your, what's your hope for that book to make an impact on the people who read it? So, so I would say, I think that it's that your role as a leader is critical. You have huge impact and, and that really, you know, we say in the book, culture first, culture next, culture always, and, and that you are, you set the tone for that and that you're creating a culture in your school for learning to thrive. And that means supporting the kids, but it also means supporting the adults and, and the entire, you know, the, the community um, of the school. And before I let Beth answer, when I and I clarify this with me, Shelley, just with a yes or no, when you main leader, you're talking anybody from any position. Absolutely. Not don't Absolutely. don't get that because there's a lot of principals who aren't leaders and a lot of teachers who are amazing leaders. Absolutely. Make I agree sure with 100%. Yep. Okay. Beth? All right. So I think the biggest thing um, takeaway for me is that you're not alone. Um, you have an amazing support system through the power of a PLN, through the power of just the authors in itself, we, we are here to support. And as we've met so many amazing educators here at ASCD, just that you're not alone. And, and a lot of principals feel like they're alone because of the only person doing what they do in, in their building. But again, and to echo what you both said, the leader can be anyone in an organization and should be anyone in the organization. So, so, but again, just, you're not alone. And that's, 
we're all here to make, you know, to make it better for everyone else. How would you sum it up, George, in 15 seconds or less? How would I, sum, I actually, I, I actually, in my endorsement of your book, <laughs> uh, that was actually the first thing that I said was what Beth said. I think she just stole that from me, to be honest with you. So I'm a little upset, but whatever. <laughs> But that the the first thing that the first thing that I actually felt when reading it, and I think that's why I enjoyed it so much, is the notion that you're not alone. Because it was yeah. not just do this, do this. It was like here's some of the struggles that we've had, and I think that people need to feel. And I think that's why the conversation when I say like, hey, sometimes we gotta, we have to, you know, challenge. You know, like we gotta be a boss sometimes, is because people, you know, people hear like, oh, I'm in classrooms all the time, and this is what I do all the time, and I'm always here, and it's like, yeah, no, you don't. There's, you're in class, like, sometimes you're in your office, sometimes you're doing stupid paperwork, and all this other stuff, and I think that it's a disservice when we're not honest that way, but I also know there's, there's ethics that you have to follow. You can't say, like, oh, man, did I ever, you know, ream out that teacher today? Like, you're not gonna put that on Twitter, (laughs) so I think that's, uh, I think that these, that's what really struck me about the book, is the honest the honesty of two very accomplished leaders talking about struggling and i think that helps people who feel they are not alone so mine was over 15 seconds but i'm gonna turn it over to katie and she's gonna we're gonna jump into the book thank you george thank you very much so perfect segue you know talking about part four the innovators mindset and thinking about you know this first question is you know, some barriers to innovation. And a lot of the book, George talks about ways that you can move forward and try new things, but there are some, some barriers. And so thinking about, thinking about schools and thinking about the culture, one of the things that has been really resonating with me a lot lately is this notion of perfection and that I have to get it all perfect before I can roll it out to whoever this big, this big massive rollout of curriculum or programs or whatever it is. Um, and a lot of times we have teachers, we train teachers to create this five page lesson plan, you know, that's perfect and is like got everything thought out. And so a lot of times that's a barrier to innovation because you're trying to figure out everything and you don't actually try things. There's not this like living in beta notion that we're trying things out and we're getting feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you guys think about, um, you know, your work and what are some, what are some barriers to innovation, but also some ways that you've addressed those in your role? Um, so I, I'll start with that. I think that, um, you know, I think one of the things, and George talks about it in, in the book, and we would agree that sometimes a barrier, sometimes a barrier, you, you sort of get in your own way. And it's exactly what, what you described, Katie, is that you have this feeling of, of perfectionism. Um, I, I think that I think that leadership in school, you know, can be a barrier. And, and I, I'm going to sort of take off a little bit of, of what you said is that, you know, we can say, we can, you know, stand at the podium and say, we want innovation, we want creativity, we want you to be risk takers, we want, you know, that that's a, we can, we can stand up and announce that from the podium, but really the rubber meets the road when somebody actually does take a risk or does practice something, you know, because to get good at something takes practice. You know, somebody practices and, and they, they're not successful and they, you know, they, they struggle or they fail. And how do you respond as a leader? Do you, do you criticize that practice? Do you um, shut it down? Do you, you know, does that become unsatisfactory on their evaluation? Or do you appreciate practice 
Do you acknowledge that it takes time to get better at something? Do you celebrate? I saw you try something new and I saw you take a risk and boy, do I appreciate that. And, you know, and, and so how did it go and what are the struggles that I can help you with and what, where is it going to go? You know, where are you going next? And so I think that that piece, you know, if we, if, if we go in and expect perfection all the time, as we're asking people to change and, um, do things that are, are new and do things that are different. And that if we don't acknowledge and give time for practice and approximation, um, we can get in the way, you know? So I, I think that that's, I think that's definitely a barrier sometimes. Definitely. I agree with Shelly. I feel like leadership can be a barrier at times because of, of just the same things that she said. I think that as leaders, we feel like we have to be perfect. So why are we going to try something new that could potentially fail in front of a school of people that think that we're supposed to have it together all the time? So I think part of it is, is how are we taking risks and innovating as leaders? Like, how are we doing that and making sure that we are doing that in front of everyone? And when we fail showcasing, like not, not uh, showcasing it, that kind of, I don't know if that's the right word, but like making sure people know that, Hey, we're going to try this and it may or may not work. And that's okay. Um, something that we do intentionally is we take, we, we always start our time together as a staff with um, celebrations and we get really intentional about, okay, today we're celebrating risks that we have taken in the past week in our classrooms or in our school. And so taking time to celebrate risks and um, I think that that has been been definitely something big too. As we've learned new things, another another way that's helped overcome like, overcome the barrier is uh, I learned a, a great little tool from Julie Smith on the fake ticket generators, which are just a little just a little cool ticket that I can make that says, "Hey, here is a ticket for one failed assessment." When we were learning about making really great assessments, we're like, "Okay, so the first one that you're going to make as we are doing this professional learning about assessments, it, it might." not be great. And that's okay. So just like doing things like that to help people understand that it's, it's okay when you take a calculated risk and you fail, that's, that's different than being lazy and just not getting, having your things together. So when I think it's, I think Rick DeFore is, I think it's a quote from Rick DeFore. So I apologize if I've got the person wrong, but it, it's one that, you know, it's the sort of ready fire aim, you know, that, that you, there's a, sometimes you just have to go you know, and, and it's, it's, yes, you have to learn and you need to study and you need to, you know, you kind of need to know the general direction that you're going, but you do have to take the leap and, and you, you know, and you may have to aim and hone it in and refine it over time. Any change takes refinement, um, you know, takes refinement over time and you have to be open to that and build in time for reflection and refinement. A huge other barrier, and I'm going to be completely honest, and this has been a struggle for me, is when I started at our middle school, we had to improve our our performance score by the state. And I'm a person that if anyone follows me, they know I'm not a lover of standardized tests at all. But I think that holds a lot of people back is that we, as, as so many states now and um, in countries in general are saying, yes, but we still like, innovate and STEM and STEAM and all of these things. But guess what? We're still giving you that same standardized test at the end of the year where you all have to be standard. And so until we start looking at schools differently and measuring the success of schools differently, we're going to always have leaders, especially in the failing schools, which I think is a kind of a joke way of doing that too, but like that are scared to try new things right. because of, of that, the punitive yeah. damage. So Sorry, that's one of my soapboxes. And you can follow Beth Hoff on Twitter at standardized test lover. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that your Twitter handle? That's weird. That's, that's I mean, always that was weird. I love Beth Hoff is at standardized test lover. Everybody, no, I'm just kidding. 
Um, the, 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 I think in this kind of, I don't know if this, I think this needs to be emphasized is that when you're the, when you're reading your book and like when we're talking about, you know, my book, the notion of like leadership is not just about empowering innovation. It's about innovative leadership as well. It's thinking differently about how you do your practice. And when a lot of prince, teachers will say to me, oh, I don't want to be a principal. I don't want to do that. I'm like, you're the boss. You can kind of do what you want. That's the beautiful thing about being a principal is you don't have to do it the way that the principal prior did it. And I think that's a really big thing. Like I'm having a conversation with Matt Aaron right now. He's on, on uh, texting me. He's all upset about the no office day. And the thing is, is that the thing I don't like about the no office day is many people only spend one day out of their office and they're tweeting about it, but they're not really changing practice. But when he's talking about the practice he's doing through that, it's actually quite amazing. So even the idea putting out there and like, I'm not against ideas putting out there, but you have to tweak and make sure that they're creating something really powerful and, and from those leadership positions, because if people do not see the principals or the superintendents being innovative, it's really hard for us to say, you need to do things differently, even though we're going to have the same boring PD, everything's going to else is going to suck. We're still going to measure everything by how you do on standardized tests, but you need to take risks. Right. And I think that's, that's a real disconnect for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, one thing real quick, George, I just want to say on that, there's no black and white. It's not you have to be out of your office one day or if you're out, you have to be in classrooms all the time. I think too often we speak in generalities because it sounds good, but the reality is context matters and your relationship with your teachers and your families and your community matters. And you have to figure out what makes sense just because someone on Twitter says, don't be in your office ever. That doesn't necessarily make sense. There are things you have to do. But it's the notion that you need to be in classrooms and you need to be connected with your school and figure out a way that makes sense for your community. Well, and that's the sort of the, the with itness component of being a leader is that, you know, this, like, where, where is the place that I need to be right now? That's the most important place to be right, to be right now. And they, there's a, um, you know, it's, it's, and sometimes that's in classrooms, but sometimes, you know, sometimes that's a, if I don't put this fire out right now, it's going to consume Raging hours and hours and hours of my time. So it might not be what I wanted to check off the list right now or do right now, or that I know the impact it's going to have if I don't. So it is that being, being where you're needed the most. And I think it's also, um, you know, you do also have to kind of understand too, and everybody else's emergency doesn't have to be your emergency. You, you have to, and, and people want their emergency to be your emergency all the time. And if you let that consume you, you could show up to work in, in any leadership role with nothing on your to-do list and be busy all day, just, to, just reacting to other people's emergencies. And so you also have to figure out systems that are, you know, people feel heard. They feel like they are going to get, you know, a moment of your time when they need it. But, they, but they, there's systems to that you can put in place to still make people feel valued and still make people feel heard. That isn't a, I have to drop everything right this minute to handle um, the emergency that you have right now. And that doesn't mean it's not important. And it doesn't mean that I'm not going to get to it and give you, you know, all the time and attention that it needs. It just isn't going to be always on the time schedule that you need it. I don't, you know, I don't know if I said that exactly right, but, but, but I'm going to, I'm going to just, there is one thing and I always just get my guard up a little bit about this. And Katie is probably knows where I'm going to go with this. 
when we talk about like uh, promoting failure, oh my god, it just makes me want to vomit. I hate it so much. It is like, it, it, and I understand the context of it. But like, where do you like? You know, when we say things like, "Oh, like you tried something and it didn't work," like, are you gonna let them do that a hundred times? Like, sorry, that all those kids had yep. to be pulled back a year because you just tried so many different things and none of them worked. So we're gonna totally celebrate you. I think that one of one of the things that I always try to get people to understand is that we're not really focusing on you failing; it's trying something new in pursuit of doing something better. Not and, and I think that's a tweak of it too, right? Because the other part of it too that um, you know, having a family that you know, some one of my brothers in education, one isn't. When we as as administrators go to the public and say, "Oh man, we are so promoting failure with these kids." They're like, what? What is going on? Like, this is why all these kids need awards is because you're telling them it's totally cool to fail all the time. And I always say it's part of the process, but it's not what we're shooting for. Right. 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 Absolutely. And that's another great thing. It's like it looks good on a meme. We celebrate failure or we really hype up the failure piece. But it's it's the process and what you learn from it and that you do something as a result and you improve. When I think that you said, I mean, I think that's that right. The real work is in the process. I right. mean, the, the real oh. work that we do is in is in that roll up our sleeves and and set a path, but then be willing to, you know, know it's going to go off course. Do I reshape it? Do I rethink it? Do we reflect? But it also, it goes hand in hand too with, it's a process and it's a path and it's a journey, but with really clear goals in mind and, you know, a really clear vision about where we want to be and where we want to go. Because I think that's another mistake that we can make is sort of the flavor of the month stuff. You know, it's the, you know, it's the, I went to this conference, I heard this great thing. I just saw this speaker and you can make a stack crazy with, you know, every, so you, you have to have that really clear. We talk about it in the book and not ad nauseum because it's, it's talked about in so many places and so many other great books, but clarity of vision and clarity of purpose and, and direction is, is really important in that because the, it isn't just take risk, take risk, fail, 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 all over. It's like, what's the, are you in pursuit of this direction? Are you in pursuit of these goals? Is it, are you on this journey to, to getting better? Right. Um, not just try, you know, any new thing that shows up on any given day. And I I know George, you have a question, but I just want a comment really quick on that. Please. Is that, I think that is so important, the process. Yeah. We know that learning is a process. We know that it takes time. And we know if we have clear goals, it's going to take a lot of work to get there. Mm-hmm. But too often, we share the end product. And we talk about, yeah, failure is great, but we don't share the process. And I'm guilty of it, too. I want to wait till it's ready. And, you know, talking about that barrier to innovation, that is perfection. It's always a tension that that we have to be able to be open in the process and be transparent to share. I don't really know exactly where this is going to go, but here's my goal and we're working towards it. And I need all of you to help. Um, It really takes a a vulnerability of teachers, administrators, everyone to model that and to really show our kids that that's the way to get to where we want to be. And just one last thing on that. I think that, what I think if you really want that culture of innovation is that the vulnerability, but the honest conversations at the appropriate times. So I know I actually remember doing something very stupid when I was a teacher uh, very early and my uh, the parent was upset about it. And my principal was like, George totally 
works, you know, is working so hard with your kids. He's amazing. The kids love him. And it's just like, so we always know he has the best interest. And then he closed the door and he goes, what were you thinking? Oh my God, that was so dumb. Right. <laughs> so he had, he, and I, I always remember that because he never threw me under the bus with that parent. He had my back when I needed it. So I trusted him more. And I appreciated that he actually, you know, like I didn't get a letter in the mail later from him. He told me straight up and cause I was brand new as a teacher. Um, and so, um, but here's a, here's kind of the, and I think I'm going to, this is, this is beautiful. Cause it ties totally into something Beth said, and I'm watching the YouTube chat and uh, uh, Charles Martin, says there doesn't have to be a disconnect between standardized tests and innovations. These two are not necessarily mutually exclusive. But then we talk about standardized tests. So this actually lends to our next question. How do you actually measure if you're being innovative? Like, how is that being measured? How do you know you're, you're doing that in the first place? Um, yeah, I can start. I think it's, to me, it's a, the mindset can be somewhat measured. Like I feel like you can kind of look at, do we have a mindset of innovation within our building? I think innovation is so a good. Book on that. <laughs> no, look at that. So what's it called um, again? Mindset yeah. on innovation. I think it's called, I can't remember. There you go. <laughs> oh, but like to me, innovation is, is so different. What Shelly made where she might be at, if we're both teaching middle school, her, she may be doing something that is, like at a scale much higher, like it's just because she's doing it with her experiences. I don't know that you can put a measurement on that. Whereas with me, it may not be as much, you know, with, with where I'm at, I could try the same thing and it's not as innovative for me. Or I think it just depends on what your background knowledge is and where you are. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I think it's so hard because innovation looks so different depending upon what it is you know it's always wanting to be better but it's it's that hook back to what was our old practice how are we making it better how are we tweaking it and what happens if somebody already has a really great practice that's happening and just tweaks it a little bit versus a person that has a not a great practice and really tweaks it hugely is that person more innovative or did you know i don't i don't know so i don't know that that is when i i don't know oh i was just gonna say i think to your point it's what is the what innovation for what, right? Yes. Are, are we measuring? Are we just innovating because it, it sounds cool and because we want to try all these new things? And I don't think that's the goal. So I think Shelly, you said beautifully, like what are our clear goals and where are we going? And so measuring innovation is about our growth over time and how we're getting better for kids and how we're changing the culture, how we're changing learning experiences. It's not did I try fifty new things this year? It's what is the impact I'm having? And I think that's the shift too that goes back to what are we measuring? What are we yeah. valuing? Do we value the task only? Or are we also looking at how kids are working better together, how they're solving problems and the things that we say we value in our vision and our mission? Are we aligning that to the work we're doing and the work we're trying to do to get better? Yeah. When I, I think this, oh yeah, I was going to say, um, sort of jumping off of, of what you were saying there, Katie, too, is, you know, with those clear goals and, you know, it's that process and, and all of those pieces, is it do, have we do, defined, do we collectively as a team understand what we mean when we say innovation? Do we, like, what does that mean for us? And I think the definition at one school or in one district might be very, very different from the definition in another school or, or another district. And so do we have clarity uh, among ourselves as a team about what innovative practice is here? 
And I, I think that when you can get really clear about that and you can articulate that as a, as a team and have collective commitments to that, um, I don't know if it's so much can we measure, you know, can we measure it over time? I, you know, I, I think that if, if we create that together and what it means at our school and, and ask ourselves the question, how are we going to know if we're getting better at it? That's, that's where your starting point of how do you measure it or, or know that you're growing or moving in the right direction. Then Beth, we're going to, we're, I'm going to ask you a specific question, actually, Beth. Um, but if you were about to get in the question part, so if you're on the iMOOC hashtag, please tweet any questions you have for anything and we'll see, or you can do it through the YouTube live chat because I'm actually watching that. I figured out how to watch it today. Uh, but Beth, this is actually specifically for you. Uh, you think it's really good. You think maybe measuring innovation would be good, like if you did it through a survey? Survey innovation? I would actually like it on a standardized test survey. Yeah. Okay. All right. We got your answer. But one okay. question. Do you think that we're innovative? Yes yeah, or no? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great way. Um, like, there, is, there is one comment. Jeff Kubiak he said, not all innovation is good. Sometimes something new or an iteration does not work in students' best interest. This is where I'm kind of, and I'm going to challenge Jeff, even though, and, and to, to that, that's why I don't see it as an innovation. That's why I was very, explicit about it being new and better if it is something new and it's not better it's change for the sake of change sake and we have to identify that and i think i think jeff brings up i know he i know exactly what it means i think it's a very good point but you're it is in that pursuit of doing better and i think a lot of people they fear innovation in education because it's just changing something because you went to a conference and you saw somebody doing some school and you're like, we're doing that, even though we have no idea why, but it worked for them. So let's figure it out. And that's where teachers, there's a disconnect. So um, the last question I'm going to ask you, um, how do you, how do you work to um, empower others? And Shelly, I'm going to actually ask you to, Talk about this, not as a principal or superintendent, but I actually want to talk about your experience with publishing, because I think that there's a disconnect. There's a lot of people think that once you leave education, kind of make an impact. And I think that you and Dave have made a huge impact on education while you're still not in school. So how do you find ways? And I think it is through empowering people. And, and what are some of the ways that you would empower your staff, your, your, uh, your groups? Um, so, so from the publishing perspective, first of all, thank you. Those very nice comments about the work that we do. Um, but I, I think that's actually one of the things that, that Dave and I, really the mission of the publishing company that we do is about empowering educators. And it's so, so, and I talk, even if I talk about the authors and things that, that we work with is it's, it's really important to us. We, we look for authors who are so passionate about a message and who are doing things in their schools or in their systems that are having impact, but it's, it's work that they're passionate about and that they, they want to share with others. And we, what we like to do is, is it's really about elevating the impact of that and, and helping them spread really powerful messages 
messages um, to other educators to have an impact. And I, I think one of the things that's really different about our publishing company compared to compared to others is that we really we believe really strongly in in creative control of the authors. We want authors telling real stories, authentic stories. The um, you know the the messiness sometimes of the process, but that but the great things come out you know on the other end of it. And so so we want people to tell um, the stories in the books that we do um, in in a way that's real, you know, and, and we actually talk about that. One of the things that I think about our books is that we want real stories from real practitioners, um, much more so than we want research heavy books, you know, and, and so we, I think it is about really encouraging and, you know, and I know the conversation we had as you were doing innovators mindset is, you know, we don't want ed tech books we don't want an ed tech book from George Curls. We don't want, you know, to put you in a box. We want a George Curls book about the things that you're passionate about and the things that you believe in. That's the message that we want to help get out there. And so, so I think our approach to the business um, is different from um, the way that, that other people approach it sometimes. And just to, just to build on something you said, Shelly, and then uh, love for you to answer the question as well, Beth. Um, one of the reasons why I actually wanted to write with you guys is because I actually hate 99% of education books because I can't make it past three pages. Like they are so boring. And it's like, if you don't actually tap into something where there's a connection, Katie's shaking her head at me, but I know she agrees too. And so the thing is, if I can't actually, if I don't feel something when I'm reading it, then it's really hard to like, just, just dry it. And it's like, here's like a question, like, why do education, like, why are so many education books, like great ideas, but sometimes boring. And I think because that's how they've always been written. So we don't even ask it, like why we do it. And I think that's like, I, like people connect with stories, stories change way people's thinking because it connects emotionally. It's not just stuff. And I think that no one's ever changed their life because they saw a pie chart ever. Right. <laughs> we talk about that in the book too. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it was created from a survey. <laughs> totally. Well, surveys are awesome, right? No, I think, I mean, you know, it, I have had, I've taken a, a good survey in my, my yeah. DNA. I'm making a Google form right now for this talk. But wonderful. <laughs> no. Um, so for me with empowerment, I feel like it comes from leading with yes. And uh, so many times when I haven't been empowered in my role in my life and in general is just, I haven't been able to, I go to somebody and have an idea and I'm shot down completely. And so I think for me, it's about when teachers come with ideas or students come with ideas, I may be sitting there not really sure what's, but I'm like, yes, and, or yes, but, and yes, if, but still making sure that people don't get shot down immediately when they come with ideas. I think empowering, again, goes back to those clear goals, um, being firm in our goals that we've created together, but very flexible with how we, how we achieve them. And letting others lead with you. Shared leadership is something that Shelly and I believe so much in. And I know Mission and Vision Shelly and I have extensive PLC training and so many schools and mission and vision and constant commitments are just with small paper on the wall. And that's not what we're about. And right. if it doesn't tie back to that, then what that's the foundation for everything else that's that's built within our school. And, and I think the the yeses and the no's trickle through the school, right? If you say no, 
everyone starts saying, well, I asked that and they wouldn't let me do it. So I don't, they'll let you do that. Right. And so it starts going through that. It's not, it, it's a lot of time. Now it's not that you should never say no. I've, I've asked for things when I was a principal that, or when I was a teacher that someone said no to, and I was like, God, seriously. And then years later when I was a principal, like, Oh my God, thank God they did not let me do that. Right. And I think that, um, I think that's a, that's a shift is, is kind of understanding that, uh, that when you say yes or no, it trickles. It People hear it, not just the person in the room. And I think that's really important is that when you're looking at the importance of empowering others. Um, so I'm going to actually, I'm going to take some questions here. I have one quick question. Please, please, go ahead. No, I just, this whole notion, we talk a lot about empowering, and I think it's really important in this culture of yes and making sure that people feel like they have um, basic things. And I was never one that was, would ask a lot and I just would try new things. But there's a lot of people who feel like they need permission, mm -hmm. um, that they need, that they're waiting for someone to tell me. So I think I'm wondering just this balance of do you always want teachers to ask you for permission, everything they do? Or how do you create that culture where they're empowered to try things? Um, and they they know kind of their boundaries of things that they can try without, without always having to deviate and ask you as the principal. Yeah. I think it's so much of that is rooted in the culture. For me, I'm only two years in the current building I'm at. So they really, I mean, as you have a new leader come in, it takes time to build that trust. And it goes back to like what George was saying, they know the yeses and nos get around quickly. And so I that once they start, and first of all, it goes back to what I model. And when they model me or see me modeling some of these things, they start, I see that happening throughout the building. So they know if I am doing certain things, why in the world would I have any issue with them doing that too? So I think that it goes back to that. But as soon as you, you you've got to build that trust and then make sure that there's time we mess up. And so there's going to be times when we've some type of a relationship's been damaged. You've got to go back and figure out how to work to build that up and not just ignore it. Um, but again, yeah, because I don't want, I, I don't want people asking permission to do stuff all the time. I want them to feel like that they, that they don't need, it's not about me. It's about, you know, they, they know what they need to do and I'm just there to support them. So when mm -hmm. I, and I think another thing um, too, and again, it builds over time in a, in a culture of a school is that do we have, do we have common understanding too of sort of the criteria for good decision-making that we use here, you know, and, and that, that, you know, we all like, do we know what that means? Do we know what that looks like? Do we, you know, and, and some definition um, around that, or you again, it's just sort of what you build over time. And the culture is that, you know, the last thing I want to do, you know, the, the last thing, the la and I actually, there's a story about this from when I was a principal and it, um, it was a, and this is so okay. So this is, this dates a little bit my principalship because things were still being copied and a flyer going home, but they, you know, it was a, a flyer about open house that was going home and it hadn't gone out. And it was in the very beginning, you know, it was first six weeks or so of my being principal at the school. And it hadn't, it was like, what's going on? And it was, they literally, um, it did not go out because, I hadn't yet told them what color paper to put it on, you know, and it's, it's like, 
it's, it's so I, I think it's, it's the, some of those things have to happen. And, and, you know, I, I walked into a school where there was evidence all over the place that people weren't trusted. I mean, you could, you could see that. I mean, you could, you could see supply rooms were locked. You could get supplies only on Tuesdays and Thursdays if you needed them. So if you had a great idea on, you know, Thursday for Friday, you're out of luck if you needed supplies, you know, there were, I mean, there were signs all over the place that, that people weren't trusted. So there had been a, a, there was a culture of having to ask permission for, for doing anything. And so, but that was a big aha moment for me as a, as a new leader. It's like, oh my God, like really? Like if the paper is purple or green, like, does that, you know, so, so I think you have to, you have to recognize that those things are happening. And, and those in, I think those one-on-one conversations too, that you have with people in those moments about that are, you know what, I, I trust you. Like, I, you know, I, please, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to wait for me. You don't have to. And when you need to problem solve with me, by all means, let's do it. But it is, it's giving people. And again, we talk about this in the book, but we, we believe too that giving trust is almost important as if not more important than earning trust as you're starting to try to build, um, that positive, that positive culture, um, on your campus. And, and so that's, well, and I think absolutely right. Like it, it is giving it without it being earned at first, especially in your roles. And, you know, like if you look at the classrooms, that's a very subtle thing that you notice, like, you know, the classrooms that um, have the no cell phone signs on the, the second that kids walk in, what it really is telling them is I don't trust you that like you have you you don't get yeah. to do it because you're totally going to make a mistake. And what kind of culture is that we talk about relationships all the time as focused, but then we start off our rooms with signs that say, I don't trust you. And that's not really a good way to build a relationship. Um, I'm going to take, there is one question we're going to take, because we've actually went way over the time that, uh, but it's been really good conversation. I I wanted to just kind of build on what we're doing. Uh, And then uh, after that, I'm going to share who is, uh, we're going to have for guests next week. And it is like the most shocking, I'm doing a bachelor advertisement right now. This is the most shocking, that's not really shocking at all. Just saying, so people will stay to the end. Um, so this is uh, this is from Christy Brown Griffin. Uh, so at edu underscore k Griffin, how do you keep from getting overwhelmed when you begin the journey of innovation, Katie? Uh, Katie, if you want to actually start with that, it'd be great. And then uh, Shelly and Beth. So how do you keep from being overwhelmed on the on the journey of innovation? Well. I would say start small. I think this is just something, and I, again, continue to work at this, but sometimes we think we have to have it all figured out before we try something. Um, And so I would just say a lot of times, and we've said this before in the the sessions, ask kids, ask teachers, start getting feedback about what people want and what the challenges are and start making those small tweaks. Don't wait until you have it all figured out to roll it out. When I, and I think maybe another thing that, that I would add is that um, give yourself permission to not be perfect. Give yourself permission to be human. Give yourself permission to have life outside of school and work. You know, I had a, a really um, phenomenal um, mentor when I first started as a leader. And it, you know, it was, I was six months pregnant when I started my job as a principal. And so my body would tell me, too, that it was that it's time to shut down. But, she used to call me, and then I, I, and I used to do this later when um, I was in the assistant superintendent role because it was so impactful in me. Um, and I would do it for teachers at my school. But she would call me at you know five o'clock, five thirty, and and say, "What are you?" And she, one of my bosses, and say, "What are you still doing? What are you still doing at school? You have a two-year-old at home. 
you are taking, you know, you're, you're like you, and what you said that was so impactful is the work is never done. And you come back tomorrow and you reprioritize for the next day. And, and I think that, and, and she, she did that for me a lot in the, the beginning, my beginning time as a principal. And we have to give ourselves permission. We know the work is never done. So we have to give ourselves time. It's a time to shut off and say, I, so I make, I do something different tomorrow than I was planning because I, I'm reprioritizing and, and shifting, but I got to take care of myself too. And I would also kind of, I would like to add that you find a support system, find a person that kind of an accountability buddy, that's not only going to support you as you're trying these new things, but also to let you know when it's time to take a break or a time to, you know, we just, we beat ourselves up because uh, a lot of times in education, because we feel like we have to be perfect. And again, starting small, having an accountability buddy and taking care of yourself. Um, because I, I am the first one that, I'm overwhelmed usually a little bit every day. <laughs> I feel like I really am, but it's really being able to manage that, manage that being overwhelmedness. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would just add that it, I try to live by this is take your work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. Like don't, you know, don't beat yourself up over stuff and, you know, but have fun. Like one of the things that I love about these conversations and one of the things that I pride myself on is I'll tell you exactly what I think, but and I think that we need to call some stuff, but just have fun with these conversations, joke around like every, you know, too much in school that we do with teachers is so boring and God, like, I wish we could just liven it up a little bit. Right. Cause I think that's, that's when we, you know, make a huge difference is that people are excited to be there cause they know it's going to be an awesome day. And so, um, one of the, uh, um, so I really want to thank, uh, Shelly and Beth for joining Katie as always for, um, um, helping me host this. Uh, next week, we're actually pretty excited because we got uh, Joe Santafilippo and Tony Sinanis. They're going to join us. And it's actually the last iMOOC episode for the season two. I don't know if that's where we're going with, but uh, it will be at 8 p.m. Eastern on Sunday again. So we're excited to have them. And I just want to share one story. It was really uh, and kind of hopefully ties all this stuff up. Uh, I was speaking in uh, Utah this week and Dylan William was there and he came to see me speak. And I was very nervous. If you know anything about Dylan, Dylan William, this guy is brilliant. And uh, I actually always ask the audience, who has ever said this statement? The bell doesn't dismiss you. I dismiss you. And so I asked that. And Dylan William was one of the first people in the room to put his hand up. And I thought it was fascinating because I have this like, and it just showed that you're all in journeys. You're all different spaces. And even at one point, Dylan, because I even said, well, sorry, you actually sucked that day. And he goes, I did. I did suck that day. <laughs> And someone said, you said to Dylan William that they sucked the day. I'm like, well, he did too, right? <laughs> and so I think that it's understanding that a lot of, like, I always talk about this, that we celebrate the product, but we don't celebrate the process. That everyone that you look up to that is doing an amazing job, that you hope to be that teacher one day, also wasn't great at one point. They worked to get to that point. So just celebrate the process, identify where you are, and, and, and keep striving to do what you can to help kids. And so thanks for your time again. I look forward to hearing you. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you again so much for being here. And I hope everyone that joined in tonight, you have a wonderful week and, and continue to make all these amazing things happen for your students. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you guys. Thank you, Katie. <laughs>
It's just me, myself, and 